Level up your horse's performance this season with choices from Purina Animal Nutrition. From Purina Altium Competition Formula to Purina Impact Pro Performance and everything in between, Purina has the right option for your horse, including supplements like Purina Super Sport Amino Acid, Purina Amplify High Fat Supplement, and Purina Outlast Gastric Support. There are many choices for optimal nutrition when you choose Purina, all backed by science. Level up your performance this season and put Purina's research to the test. Ask for Purina at your local feed retailer today. NCHA Open Futurity, and there's only been another one since then, which is the gal that worked for me, my very good friend, Kathy Dawn. And, and then I've been reserved twice since I won it. But, but what it did for me is, is just whenever you win something like that, more than anything, more than the winnings or anything else, you, you gain confidence, which is more important than anything. And I, and I felt like I could ride with anybody and I could show with anybody. And, and that, that in itself was, was probably the greatest gift that, that you could get from winning something like the Futurity. And, you know, I used to get tired of people asking me, how does it feel to be a woman or, you know, how'd you do it and all that. And I thought, I never really thought twice about the gender question, women or woman or man. I just thought, you know, I wanted to be one of the best. And to be the best, you have to show against the best. And the best all happened to be men. It never really dawned on me that it was a big deal that that I was winning being a woman. It just, I always wanted to be considered a really great hand, one of the best, not one of, not one of the best women. So... But it, it, I think the confidence was the big thing and just, uh, you know, you could, not that I've ever relaxed. I, I don't think I'm relaxed now about, about it because I want to win it again and again and again. But it, it just makes it a little bit easier to sleep at night when you know that you can win it. I, I think you bring up a really good point with the, the, the questions that are asked about what's it like to, you know, to be a woman that won something like that. And yeah. and it, go, it kind of goes back to the whole conversation that we had about like a good, you know, a mare is just as good as a stallion and, and a female rider is just as good as a male rider. And, and, you know, they should be compared on the same, you know, scale, not female versus male. Like you, you are one of the best cutting horse trainers, not just female cutting horse trainers. Right. Right. And I think that, that in, in in anything, you know, when you're the first, you know, and, and and whether I'm referred as, they refer to me as Jackie Robinson of, you know, cutters and all that, break the glass ceiling. I, I think in retrospect now, I think it was a big deal. I didn't think it was a big deal then, you know. And I, I think that it's just having having a focus about what you want to do and then sacrificing whatever you have to sacrifice to get that done. And I think, you know, a lot of women are as good. You know, there's many, many really great women hands. And I think they have a lot of times a step on some men, not all men, some men. 
as as being a better partner with a horse. I think they're more intuitive. I think they're more compassionate in many in many ways. But not not you know I I don't want to I don't want to you know be a racist on the other side saying that men can't do it because they can. There's there's some great male trainers and there's great male trainers that have a, a tremendous amount of compassion for their horses. I just see it a lot in women too, and I. And, and our industry has has evolved where we have a non-professional class, as you know, and an amateur class, and those are dominated by women. There's more women in the amateur and the non-professional than men that are winning, for sure. And there's still some good non-pro males and non-pro and amateur, you know, men, but but there's a lot of women. And in the open, there's still way dominated by the men as far as number wise there's still just a few women open trainers but you know there's a lot there i'm not saying you have to give up everything to do that but but it's taxing you know the the family life is taxing the the responsibilities you know are all kind of askew and you have to you have to wear a lot of hats if you're a woman and still be a woman professional trainer and there's some that are very successful at it and good, good hands coming up that are ladies. So, you know, to, to get to be the start of that, I'm, I'm happy with that. And, and I'm the only woman yet to win the world, to win the open NCHA Open Championship title. And I think that, you know, we'll have women win that one of these days too. But, it, you know, it just, you got to be in the business a while and that's got to be your focus in order to get to to get to the top as in any sport business sport you know absolutely there there is a a level of dedication and and i think horses you know the nice thing about other sports is that you can walk away from your baseball bat at night or or, you know whatever and but you know when we're done riding horses next you got to go and and take care of them medicate them beat them clean stalls you know there's no you don't get to just go to your job and, and ride. you got to do everything else on the other end afterward. No, and then you don't get Sundays off or Saturdays off or, you know, you can put the bat in the closet and take a day off. But, you don't, you know, the horse life, the ranch life, horse life, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And, and I'm certainly not trying to dissuade anybody from doing it because it's the love of my life for sure. But, but. It's, you know, it's, it's not for everyone. I mean, you, 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 you know, you have to be super responsible and compassionate for these animals because they depend on you. That's, that's, they depend on you for their life. Absolutely. Is there, is there anything that you wish that you would have known when you first started that you know now? Like, what is one thing that really sticks out to you? I wish I could, I mean, I wouldn't change much for sure. I, I've, I've, I've. I've been one of the luckiest people in the world to get to do what I would pay somebody to get to do (laughs) for my livelihood and my career and my hobby is all, you know, rolled into one. I would probably just want more time at this stage to keep doing it because I think I'm smarter. I think I approach it a little bit better. I think I can get a lot of things accomplished with a little less work. And I'm riding fewer horses now, too, that allows me to do that. But maybe the only regret, regret, it's really not a regret, is just to enjoy the journey a little bit more. And that's what I always tell people to to enjoy what's going on 
between the shows because, you know, there's always going to be, there can always be a different winner. So, you know, the other 600 people that are at that show that day, they better be able to take something from it in order to live with it and to be okay with it. That, well, I didn't win that one. I worked my hardest. I did my best. I had the best horse and all those things may be true, but they still don't guarantee you a win. So you have to take it, you know, you got, you got to be able to take it and own it. Maybe I was just probably a little bit hard on myself when I could have been a little less hard on myself. But, but then again, when you look at it, you know, maybe that's, maybe that was what I needed to have happen at the time. Maybe that was the catalyst to make me keep going and, and, get where I am today. What you're, I totally get what you're saying. Whereas, you know, you wish you weren't so hard on yourself, but also maybe that's the driving factor that helped you win, right. you know, some of those events is that you were determined. And when things didn't go the way that you planned, you took that energy and then, you know, worked on it at home only to be better the next time. But I also agree with your point where we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves because at the end of the day, we do this because we love these horses. You know, and it, and if that's not the reason why you're competing, then it's time to reevaluate what you're doing. Right. And that's one one factor that never was a question for me about loving the horse and appreciating the horse. And that's, you know, why I, I, I don't treat it like a business. I treat it like it's a lifestyle for sure. And most most people do. But, you know, there's a lot of people that if they don't have to ride over the weekends, they, they want to go golf or boat or be with a family or go on vacation or do something well when i go on vacation about three days is i'm you know i've got the eebie-jeebies i want to get home and i want to check on prince and check on ruby and go for a ride and if i've had a bad day doing whatever when i was president of the mcha a few years ago you know there were some certainly some some challenging days well at the end of the day in the office if i was there all day the first thing I do is get on my favorite horse and go for a ride. And that's still the case. So I find a lot of solace with my horses and, and wouldn't trade that for anything. But, but it, you know, you, and I've had so many people tell me forever, just, you know, you're too hard on yourself, be a little bit easier. Don't take it so hard, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, you know, it goes in one ear and out the other most of the time to tell you the truth because, you know, that's, I don't want to blame the horse. You know, I want to blame myself. The horse has to do their job for sure. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, do everything I can in order for that to happen. But at the end of the day, I've got the reins. So maybe there's something else I could have, could be doing when I train this horse or show him a cow or just to, you know, just apply something else that, I, I think about it a lot and always have, you know, what, just like you're teaching a, a human or a student something, you can just see in their eyes, they're not getting it. And, and so you try a different approach and, and uh, then all of a sudden you see them, the light bulb turn on. And that's, that's what I live for when I ride the horse. I might try a different approach and all of a sudden I feel them just, open up or, you know, move their shoulders away. It's going to help them get across the cow a little better. So, you know, it's, it's all trial and error, but, you know, you've got to be smart about developing that horse to the best of their potential, not something that you want to have happen, but they can't, they can't get there for you just because they're not 
it's not their potential. That's, you're talking about your potential, not theirs. It's such a rewarding feeling when you are riding one and, and you're trying to teach them something and, the, and it clicks and it just it feels so good. That's such a rewarding yeah. feeling when it all comes together. Yeah. Okay, so you have talked a little bit about your Open World Championship, but I don't think we mentioned that you were the first rider, not just female rider, first rider to win all four go-rounds at that world show. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Well, that was actually on She's a Smarty Lena, that mare I told you about, Cher. And that was, you know, that was really great because, you know, every, I mean, I read all the books about great athletes and I love sports obviously but they all say in their sport when they have one night or one season or one tournament or one something where just everything is just green lights I mean everything is they've just been green lit and everything just works and they don't even think about it it's effortlessly and they're they're just they're just flying and and that's how that that four-go series was for me that year with shares. It, it didn't matter where I drew, what cow I cut. I, I cut the best cows, and I picked them, but they could have easily not been the best cows, you know, but they were. And she was flawless. And and it's just like the first run, she had a really, I don't, I don't remember what I scored, but a high score enough to win the go. And you have the top 15 horses of the world there. So, you know, it's something to win it. And I thought, wow, she was great. And then the second, I'm watching the cattle in the second go. And I start in there and just everything just like, you know, falls in place. I won that one too. And I'm thinking, man, you know, maybe I could win the next one too. Wouldn't that be great? Win the next one. Then win the next one. And she was just a phenomenal mare that, that you know, when, when, and when I compete and when I show, you can't worry about the flaws or the deficiencies your horse might have or the negatives. You know, you, I, I always just, when I drop my hand, it's the best horse I've ever been on in my life. I don't care what it is because that's the way I show. That's, that's the confidence I exude, hopefully, to the judge and or judges so when when you get on in a zone like that on on a mare like she was in the same zone and a lot of times i can be in the zone and the horse is not in the zone or vice versa and that's happened of course a lot but that particular series of shows that world finals it was like it was almost too easy well and like you had mentioned you know that you're you're competing against the top 15 20 horses in the world right and and to have four go rounds and be consistent not even just consistent but to to win every single one is a is a pretty hard challenge and you know it, it could be it, it, it's so hard for a horse to be on like that every single time and especially with so many talented horses in one arena it it is and and Again, we're talking about a partnership, so I've got to be on as well as the horse. And, you know, she's a smart Elena when she was just such a great mare. She, she, she was so consistent. And, you know, when, when you have a mare like, like Cher or like Beth, when, in their, in their top heydays when they were showing, they took very little prep. And, and they'll tell you how ready they are if you'll listen, if you'll feel for it. And I, I don't 
like like Beth, and nobody ever believes this, and I'm pretty sure it's the same with Cher, but I know it is with Beth. I never practiced her. All the final shows I showed her at where I, I was high score one year that held for like, I don't know, 10 or 11 years or something, when I marked the 33, I never practiced her during the whole time I was in Houston. I never worked cow on her, and I never worked flag on her. I never did anything because she was so ready. She didn't need, you know, a redund- me being redundant on her, telling her to do this, do this. I mean, she would be insulted if I did, so I didn't. And Cheryl was quite the same way. When she was, she went during that that set of shows or that those set of go-arounds, I, I didn't work her. I didn't mess her mind up at all. I didn't. I didn't want to make a mistake and work her the wrong way or do something that would actually um, not be in her best interest. Because she was so sharp, I thought I'm just going to let this go, you know, until it until it doesn't go. And and I think I think a lot of people have a hard time stepping away and letting their horses do their job and they, they always want to they don't want to leave anything on the table so they'll they'll work them work them work them and i think they work them too much where they'll they can fatigue easy and then and then you're prone to injury but you're also prone to the horse saying you know what if you want to work me this hard and this is what we do every time you know then that's what i'll do i'll just wait for you to tell me what to do and then they're not reading the cow so then you lose that little bit of excitement or that desire that that horse has in making the proper decisions to hold that cow. Well, I th- like you said, there's so much that, you know, you don't want to leave anything on the table. And, and so it's really easy to over practice and over drill, but it's really also important. And it sounds like you're really great at reading this with your horses that, you know, we can't ask 110% every time. And, and as we're getting ready to go to a horse show, you want them to peak at the horse show. And it sounds like you have, such a great connection with these horses that you've talked about in particular that you were able to like kind of read them and, and know what they were doing and what, you know, if they needed help or if they didn't, and you were able to step back and kind of let them just cruise around before they go show rather than drill, drill, drill. And right. and I think that's so important. Yeah. You can keep them fresher. An old trainer, and I don't remember who it was, told me that one time because I think they saw me pushing at a show when I was quite young. I'm sure I was early 20s or something. You know, really pushing and maybe working the horse as well as showing the horse. And they said, you know, Lindy, that if you want to last in this business or if you want to, you want to, you know, be one of the best, you need to learn to leave a little water in the well. And that stuck with me and still does. And if you pump all that water out of that horse that day in the practice pen, you're not going to have anything left when showtime comes. I want to have plenty left when it's showtime. Yeah, that definitely makes sense, especially with how much you're asking of of the animals. I mean, they are truly athletes doing it. You can't burn them out before you go in. And I think it's always interesting when you see trainers riding and, you know, practicing their spins before before they go in and all of those things like right before your horse isn't going to learn that in the warm-up pen you know i feel like they need they don't know it before they get to the show they're not going to learn it right before they go in but so you obviously have shown quite a bit and so you've talked about getting yourself mentally ready to and prepared so that you're on top of your game what are some things that you do to kind of prep yourself to show to the best of your ability you know what i used to do and i still do it once in a while but I always, 
this is going to sound silly, but when I was younger, before I, be, I became a judge, I would read the rule book every night before I showed. I would read the rule book just to, just to remind myself. It just kind of tuned me up. And then I try to kind of see how the run should go in my head, you know, like a lot of sports people do. I kind of try to see the the run. Do I cut two cows? Do I cut three cows? And 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 I just tell myself to really, you know, show my horse and and you know, be on my game. Where I'm not, I don't. The last thing I want to do is inhibit my horse somehow by missing something or not riding as pure as I should ride. But, you know, I don't do, I, I like to get on my horse before I show and just feel how they're feeling and just kind of reaffirm that stop and let them know I'm going to use my legs, press them off a little bit. But most, but mostly I just work on trying to be in the moment and trying to try to do my job as I step down towards that herd. You, we've talked quite a bit about some of the, the mares that you've shown and some of the homegrown horses that you've shown. Was breeding something that was always an interest to you or, or how did you get into the breeding side of it? And then, I mean, it's got to be such a rewarding feeling to have like shown these mares and then have their offspring and show them and then have their offspring. And, you know, that's got to be a really special feeling that not many people get to say they've shown, you know, the stud or, or the mare and then their offspring at the same competitions. Right. And that's, that's so true. And that's one of the, I think the most, the, the, the most rewarding thing for me too is, but it's a little selfish because like, like a great horse, like Beth, I mean, I wanted to breed her because I'm, I, I didn't, I wanted another bet. You know, <laughs> she was too good. And, and the same with Cher. So it was just like, that would give me a, a dynamite pool to pull from because of those mares' genetics to have, you know, some potential superstars that had their traits. And then being the, the scientist I am, it was always intriguing to me to make, to see the, the different, the, the variables. So like, like, you know, things that were a little different about this cold by, let's say by smart little Lena out of, out of bet, how did it differ from bet itself? So do you attribute that all to the stallion? Do you attribute half of it to the stallion? And, and then it would also give me a leg up on how to train that horse because I trained the mothers. But, but the main reason was I, I just, I didn't want that experience with those mares to end. So I kept living more, I, li I kept living, living through the babies. I would live through them to have their babies. So it was still like having a piece of bet or having a piece of share or having a piece of Rita, Rita's stylish bet. Luella's cat, Lou, was just a wonderful, wonderful mare with a great maternal side. And it isn't just them, it's their mothers and grandmothers that all were you know, I I just I studied genetics, of course, in school, but you can only get so much out of a book. The rest of it is you've got to, you know, know what nicks, know what what mare will cross with what's selling the best. And a lot of that is you can't get by just looking at genetics. It's you know, and luckily I train and ride too, so I'm not a breeder just trying to figure it out without having that skill or having that experience of riding the mare, the mom, 
for the grandma or the great grandma, which I had, which I have. And but it's really fun to get to ride something that's related to those great mares because there's you know I there, there's a there's a certain amount of traits that that keep going through the generations that that are the best to me ever. What what traits are you seeing in some of the offspring that are really just you know that you're really loving? You know the the count that they're cowy. Well, I would say first, they're, they're cowy, they're smart, trainable horses. They're out of great athletes, so the athleticism is there. Sometimes not quite as much because you've diluted it with a stallion. And sometimes the stallion has added some really good stuff to those babies. Like smooth as a cat, for instance, uh, Tina, or the... Her real name Betsy Smooth. We I cross bet with Smoothest Cat, and Smoothest Cat's a great sire. But what he's known for is really a great temperament and very trainable colts. And Tina was was extremely trainable and wanted to be a great horse, wanted to be a good horse. Where her mother didn't, like I said, her mother was kind of you know iffy and come and go, and you know her mother had a real attitude till she was five. And, and that I attribute to the Freckles Playboy, which are notoriously known for late bloomers, great open horses, but not very good age event horses. They just they, it took them a while to decide they wanted to do it. And that was certainly Bet's MO. But Tina, Bet she smooth, smoothest cat really helped Bet because, you know, I was reserve on her. I drew first in the futurity and was still reserve, which is, which is pretty unique. Because she was so trainable and easy to get along with and honest, where Beth, you know, was not easy to get along with all the time until she was five. And then she was phenomenal, but not at first. Do you find yourself when you're you're riding their offspring, do you ever be like, oh, that's just like your mom? Or, or are you looking for those things when you're riding them? Totally, all the time. I want to, yeah. and I want to feel it. And probably sometimes I... I look for I look for it, you know, and okay, well I used to do this with her mother. I want to see what she does now. Or I used to do this with that colt and or her full brother. This didn't work on him. He wasn't that good doing this, but maybe she will be. So yeah, I I love I love studying the similarities or the non similarities between you know, full siblings as well as you know, line breeding or through the mothers. I just, I love hearing all of that. And, and I, it's really cool listening to, to you talk about this, especially with your science background, because I don't, you know, I, I think you bring such a different element to the table when it comes to how you're looking at genetics and, and how you're deciding to, to go through with these kinds of things. Do you find that, that you refer back to, to your background in, in that science aspect to kind of help guide you in, in your future crosses? I think definitely it was an asset having that much schooling in in genetics and also in in just I you know I taught a little bit so and, and just and just myself being a student and I wasn't the best student for a long time I I kind of changed myself a little bit and became a better student but I had to work at it I mean it didn't come completely naturally so I think and and I think my education really helped in that I see each horse as an individual, not the same. 
and that they all have certain, you know, potentials. And to me, I pride myself in trying to train each horse to its potential, not my potential or not my idea of what it should be. But I kind of let them show me what they can do. But the my education aspect, uh, I think, has really helped with conditioning and keeping a horse in shape and not not uh, overdoing it where where I have potential for injury or fatigue, which usually injury follows, as I said, and then you're out, you know, then you're, then you're fixing problems that you and yourself created and not, and, and those all could have been prevented. You know, maybe three, five minutes sessions is better than one 15 minute session. Things like that, that you learn over the years to train a little smarter. It's really cool to hear because I, I've never really done any kind of breeding. It's it's not something that I've ever been, you know, involved with, but it sounds like with all of your schooling though, it, it also helps set you up to be the horse trainer that you are today. And, and I think we're always so worried about like, who did you ride under? Who did you, you know, this or that, but there's, so much more to horse training than, than being on the back of the horse. And it, and it sounds like you took a lot of lessons from that background and, and was able to apply it to your everyday life. Yeah. And, and I know I'm, I'm known for, in a good way, but I mean, I'm known for being very anal as far as taking care of the horses and, and washing them off and how you wash them. And, and my feeding program is, is fantastic. And the horses look good. They always look good. I like that. You know, I don't ever want to see a horse's ribs or see them, you know, out of air because they, they don't have the nutrients in them to keep them in good shape. So so that's a big part of my program is nutrition. And and obviously Purina's and I are, have been partners a long time. And I think they're the superior feed and, and I rely on them and, and, and their brains to make sure I'm covering all the bases on my horses. So it's, you know, I, I don't mind going, going to the source if I need some help on a certain, in a certain horse or certain topic, something that I'm not, it's not looking on the eye test is not just quite an A and I want to be an A. So I do that. I use my vets just like the same and and I make suggestions to them. And, and you know, because I I mean, they, and they want to hear my suggestions because of, you know, my plethora of experience with with different horses and how they move and how they feel. I try to pick up something way before it manifests into a real problem. Back to us talking a little bit about having that connection with that horse and and like just even like the feeding you know making sure they get bathed a certain way all these things kind of helped form that relationship that you really need to truly be partners with that horse because now you know every little aspect of that horse whether it's how he eats you know what he's doing in a stall at 7 p.m at night every day you know all these things are are just as important as the actual training on their back doing the flag work doing the cattle work all of that you know exactly and it's hard some trainers especially you know youth there's a lot of stuff wasted on the youth and i'm certainly when i was young I I was lucky to have some mentors that put me in my place a few times about things like leaving water in the well and doing things like that, you know, and and I would think about it. I, I, I probably wouldn't take it very well that day they told me, but after a few days, it would make a whole lot of sense. But I think that a lot of 
a lot of trainers, and not just cutting trainers, but a lot of trainers aren't real true horsemen. And to be a horseman, you have to you have to be you have to look at the big picture, and it's not all on the horse's back. And a lot of it is how they feel, taking care of their trust. And they don't get all of that. You can't do all of that in 15 or 20 minutes when somebody hands you a horse that's already saddled, loped, and bitted up, and here you go, here's, you know, work the horse 15 minutes so I can give you another one. You miss so much. I, I don't know how they form that rate of a partnership with missing all that. And there's certainly trainers that do all of that, and, and just as much as I'm talking about, and probably more. But but there's some that just kind of, they, they just, oh, yeah, that's fine. But, but my, my girlfriend or my wife or my helper does all that. And so I can concentrate on riding. Well, I, I think they, it's too bad. I think they sell themselves short doing that. I love hearing that. I, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know what it's like to be a horse trainer that has 40 horses in training because I've never, I've never done that. That's never been my profession. But when I go to the barn, Every day, you know, it's it's not just what I'm doing in the saddle. It's, you know, how is my horse responding when I'm brushing her? Is her back sore? Is her, you know, is there something going on? I'm checking her hay every day, making sure her water bucket is, you know, clean and that she's drinking out of it. And I, I, I just feel like I want to know, like, if my horse flicks her ear to the left, I want to know what that means. And, and it's just so refreshing to hear someone at your caliber that has, you know, that love for it and that passion for it, even, you know, throughout all these years. And it's still as big a deal as it was when you first started as it is now to know that and to know your horse and to know everything about it, whether it's the nutrition and working with Purina or working with your vets. And I mean, all of it, it just, it, it just shows, I, I love talking to horse trainers and, and, you know, it's always great to talk to the ones that are winning, but I really love to talk to the horsemen and women who truly know what their horses are doing. Right. And it, you know, it takes a village and, and you're silly enough to employ as many good minds as you can in order to make your program the most successful it can be. But, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's up to you. You're responsible in order to coordinate all that to to make it all work and have your horses the best condition, the happiest, healthiest and, and and trained well, you know, so they're eager to perform because I I want them I want them to be eager. I don't want them to dread it. So you have obviously I'm sure inspired so many people in the industry and, and so many people aspire to be have a career like yours. What's some advice that you would give someone who's looking to just get started just as a horse trainer, not necessarily just a cutting trainer, you know, what what is something that, that you would want them to know? Well, I, I would say the best way, you know, is is to work for, is to go to work for somebody to get the experience. And, but pick your poison, you know, pick the right person that has a, a good track record. Their horses look good. They're competitive. They don't have to win every time. I mean, cutting is, cutting is, is an Olympic bicyclist told me this once. He said, I've never seen a sport with so many ways to lose. And... I thought about it and I thought, well, that's really true because, I mean, you're you're working with four helpers. You're working with a cow's mind. We're, we we profess to be able to read a cow's mind, which is a little, you know, that that's kind of a reach. And, and that's what we depend on for our livelihood. But there's, 
there's so many variables. There's the ground, there's, you know, the draw, where you drew in the order, you know, in a rain and horse draw, I mean, it matters a little bit, I guess, because it matters how the ground is or something, but in cutting, you know, when you have a herd of 60 head of cattle in there and there's 14 people in front of you and 14 of them have worked three cows apiece and they brought those cattle out, you know, 75 times before you get in there, those cattle change a lot and you've got to memorize all those cows that have been cut and try to remember the ones that are still fresh in order to, you know, so you have as good a chance as you can to show your horse. And, um, you know, it's difficult. So there's a lot of variables. And it, so the ones I can control, I, I darn sure try to control them, like nutrition, like conditioning, like preparation, and for myself as well, you know, so I'm prepared correctly. I'm watching the cattle. I have good help. They're watching the cows. So we can make, we confer and make our best choice about, you know, the cattle that are available left in the herd, you know, which ones I'm going to try to cut. So it's, you know, it's, there's a lot to it. There's so much to it. And just being able to learn, I still like, when I can, when I watch the cutting and, and they're all taking their notes and, and studying the cattle and, and it's such a skill to even be able to go and, and pick one out of the herd and, and cut it away from the rest. And I, I just have, you know, that is such a talent and to be able to do it and not, you know, excite the herd or not, you know, excite your horse or, or whatever. It's, it's such a skill. And I'm sure it took years and years to really kind of master that art. Well, yeah, and, and, and again, because of the variables, I'm on a, say, a, a red baldy, and I'm that's the cow I want. It's a fresh cow. All these others haven't looked great to me that are rolling around. But all of a sudden, the red baldy sticks it and goes, goes the other way or throws a tail over her head. You know, I've got to be smart enough to be able to step across and do something else with another cow, even though it wasn't my first choice, you know. So, Best laid plans can can go awry pretty darn quick in the cutting plan, <laughs> let alone in most with most equine disciplines. But in the cutting, when when you you put sixty head of cows in there, you're you're adding to the cluster <laughs> quite a bit. All right, couldn't find the unmute button. Oh, go ahead, Nicole. What are you gonna say? I was just gonna say thank you so much for coming on today and talking with us. It's it's honestly been such an honor having you on and getting to hear your story. So, but before we let you go. Where can our listeners find you online and on social media if they want to follow along with you in your incredible career? Where do they find me? Yeah. I guess. I mean, I'm, you're going to really laugh. It's not going to come as a big surprise, but I'm really not that technologically advanced. But I do, I think people follow Instagram on me, right? Is that right? And I'm on Facebook, but I think Instagram is a way or my website, I have a website, but they can call me up. So we love it. No, thank you so much for coming on. I, like I said, I, I love talking to people like you who are just, you know, trailblazers in, in the industry. And, you know, I just love getting to learn more about how you became the person you are and, and your love for horses. It sounds like, you know, that's been the number one thing that keeps you going all these years. And it's just so refreshing to hear and, and learn more about. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. You guys ask great questions. Thank you. What do we do? I, I always respect that. 
Thank you guys for tuning in to The Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse and Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com. If you guys have any questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at equinenetwork.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes.